Welcome, Bankless Nation, to this week's panel. This is a special panel because we have our friend, friend of the podcast, Carly Riley, joining us to replace Ryan Sean Adams. Ryan is uh, it's past Ryan's bedtime. So we're bringing Carly from the Overpriced JPEGs podcast to help co-host this NFT marketplace panel. And that's what we're talking about today. NFT marketplaces, what's good about them? What's lacking in them? What's, what do we want to see in uh, innovation with NFT marketplaces? Carly, welcome back to the Bankless RSS feed and to the Bankless YouTube. How's it going? Thank you. It is going well. This is part of my long con to replace Ryan permanently <laughs> as co-founder and uh co-CEO of Bankless. <laughs> uh, I'm pumped to be here. I uh, Overpriced JPEGs is having a lot of fun over on RS, RSS feed, but it's always nice to collab with you and hang out with the broader crew. I have thoroughly been enjoying Overpriced JPEGs uh, and all of the content that you guys have been putting out over there. Uh, and we also have one of your uh, reoccurring uh, co-hosts, co co-moderators, guests. Uh, host of the Moment of Zeneca love segment it. on Overpriced JPEGs to give a hint as to who we're talking about. Absolutely. We're going to get into who we have on uh, for this show a little bit later. But first, we have to talk about our uh, friends over at Alto IRA because Alto IRA is how you... Get away from the shackles of paying Uncle Sam more than you need to when it comes time to sell your crypto assets, if you ever have to ever sell your crypto assets. If you are like me and you don't like paying taxes or don't even like doing anything related to that, you can just sign up for uh, Alto IRA, which is just the easy mode for your crypto taxes. It's the easy button for, for crypto. All of the assets that are on Coinbase are available inside of your Alto IRA Tax Advantage Retirement Fund. So you can roll your crypto assets into a Tax Advantage a Crypto IRA with Alto IRA. There's only $10 minimums, uh, and there's a bunch of uh, options and features that you can unlock in there to make your crypto taxes extremely easy. So you can go over to altoira.com bankless and get uh, your crypto in a tax optimized fashion. So you don't ha you have to sell the minimum amount, uh, which is what we like, we like to do. Uh, Carly, let's uh, talk about who is on our panel and also what we are going to talk about. Uh, clocking in to this panel, we have returning guests, Eric Connor and DC Investor. Uh, I think people will be uh, familiar with these two. We've had uh, Eric Connor on the bull case for Ethereum uh, podcast, as well as DC Investor. We've had DC Investor on, uh, I think this will be his sixth time on the show. So friends of the podcast. And also we're bringing somebody over from the overpriced JPEGs ecosystem. You want to tease who that is, Carly? I would love to. Roy Bassine. Oh, Bassine. We've talked about this, how we pronounce his last name. Roy Bassine, also better known as Zeneca33. I talk about Zeneca all the time. He's a fountain of wisdom in the NFT space, amazing collector, thinker. He has a Substack. He has a podcast called Two Board Apes. And most importantly, he is a recurring guest on Overpriced JPEGs to give us all sorts of NFT updates, macro market updates. Uh, really excited to have him here because I love talking to him. And he's also a tremendous person. And uh, Carly, of course, we are talking about NFT marketplaces and overall the NFT industry in this pr uh, present moment, which seems to be going through a little bit of a conversation phase shift, I would say, especially with the introduction of the looks rare uh, NFT marketplaces. People are starting to open up their horizons as to what an NFT marketplace could do and look like. Carly, what are you excited about to hear on the show this uh, today? Yeah, well, I think we are in a little bit of a transition phase and, and Zeneca and I have actually talked about this before that it's it's great to see other platforms like a looks rare putting more pressure on OpenSea, more competition just means better results for us, hopefully as users. But I I like I could hear these three panelists talk about pretty much anything and I, uh, I'm really excited to get their thoughts on sort of the current landscape and, and where we're going from here, right? Like how will social be incorporated in all this? We're seeing Twitter start to incorporate Web3 and NFTs, but how will these Web3 marketplaces incorporate social elements or all these things that I think carry a lot of promise. Excited to get folks' take on, on where we're going with all that. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get right into that conversation because I want to talk about that just as much as you do. But first, before we get there, we have to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Polygon is Ethereum's largest and most vibrant scaling solution to date. With millions of monthly users and all of the biggest DeFi apps, the Polygon ecosystem has turned into a blossoming metropolis of DeFi activity. Transactions on Polygon are quick and cheap, allowing users the freedom to achieve their DeFi goals, all while being economically anchored to Ethereum. 
But Polygon isn't just the proof-of-stake sidechain. The Polygon team is building a suite of scaling solutions, including Polygon Hermes, Maiden, Nightfall, and Zero, all with different design choices in order to be optimized for all possible crypto use cases. If you're a developer who wants to build on the Polygon ecosystem, go to the link in the show notes to check out their fantastic documentation. And if you're a user who just wants to experience fast and cheap DeFi, you can bridge over your ETH or other tokens and start playing around with any of the thousands of applications that are available on Polygon. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi without giving up custody over your private keys. MetaMask is both a secure in-browser wallet and also a secure bridge for your hardware wallet. You can now trade tokens on any DEX or aggregator. MetaMask Swap gathers real-time pricing information across all the DeFi exchanges, allowing you to select your best price while getting all the MetaMask benefits of self-custody, lower gas costs, and increased transaction success rates. MetaMask also has a fantastic mobile wallet that I use when I'm out and about which I use to collect POAPs, NFTs, and do all my DeFi things while I'm away from home. If you haven't downloaded MetaMask, you gotta try it out. Web3 wouldn't be the same without it. Download MetaMask for desktop and mobile at metamask.io and load up your Trezor, Ledger, Lattice, or Keystone hardware wallets so that they too can get into the world of Web3. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, and we are back to kickstart our NFT marketplace panel, which I'm really excited for. I know that the guys from OpenSea, from Foundation, from Zora, from Super Rare, from Looks Rare, shout out to all you guys. I hope you guys are listening to this because this one is for you. We want to unpack what does, what do the NFT connoisseurs of the world want to see in their ideal NFT marketplace? And what are they overall looking at in, in the world of NFTs? Uh, once again, clocking in in the bottom left corner, we got DC Investor. He's been on the show I, for his sixth time this time, uh, an NFT connoisseur with one of the my favorite uh, por- NFT portfolios. You can check it out on his Twitter. Uh, it's linked there. Uh, he's a long-term thinker, uh, which is why we love him as a guest on Bankless. DC, welcome back to the show. You're also muted, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hey, thanks for having me on, David. Really excited to be here with you and Carly and, and the rest of the crew here today. Next up, another recurring guest. We got Eric Connor, who is an Ethereum OG. He's participated in just about every single type of market that Ethereum has ever produced, and NFTs is no exception. Exception. Eric, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks, David. It's true. I do like to trade illiquid JPEG, so pumped to talk about uh, NFTs. And then Carly, do you want to introduce uh, guest number three? Absolutely. I said it earlier. I will say it again. One of my favorite thinkers in the NFT space. He has an awesome podcast and awesome Substack. He also launched his own collection recently, Zen Academy. Going to plug that for you, Zeneca. Also a proud Zen Academy holder here and a recurring uh, co-host segment host on Overpriced JPEGs, our other bankless podcast that I host and uh, just a, a great thinker in the space overall. Well, guys, Excited let's go. To be here. Thanks for having oh. me. Sorry. Trigger happy. (laughs) Uh, Let's go ahead and get right into it with our very first question, which is going to be the million dollar question just to get us oriented. I want to throw this one at Eric first. Eric, why do humans trade JPEGs in the first place? And what should NFT platforms be optimized for in order to really just facilitate that behavior? Yeah, I mean, I first would say, I know, David, you and I have had this conversation offline many times, but humans given the ability to speculate on anything, we'll do it. And like the one thing we've realized over time with Ethereum is it allows anybody to speculate on anything and anybody can spin up a market for absolutely anything. And, you know, there was a tweet today from like Elon Musk and McDonald's and they mentioned McDonald's tweeted some random token and someone instantly launched a token and it went up like 10,000%. So that's just like what Ethereum enables, right? So you bring in like the history of art and obviously art has forever been an investment for people, a collection for people. Um, you bring that on chain, you 
make it accessible. And mo most importantly, you give like instant price discovery and liquidity to art, which in the traditional art world is very hard to come by. Um, people are going to be interested in that, right? Um, now, like what, what should ultimately these marketplaces strive for? I think we're in that discovery phase. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a big topic here going forward in this conversation, but clearly I think giving some type of revenue back to people that help build your platform, whether it's token holders or whatnot, and not just taking all the fees and royalties to yourself and building a true community, right? Like we've seen that with looks rare over the last few weeks. Um, people have kind of poked at OpenSea in the past for that. So I think that's going to be the battle going forward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, humans just love to speculate. I mean, we speculate on literally on rocks, right? So why not speculate on JPEGs on the blockchain? <laughs> DC, I want to throw that same question to you. Why do humans trade JPEGs? And what about our platforms that we trade our JPEGs on really need to um, build around in order to facilitate this? Well, I think that, you know, just echo the points that Eric made, but I would also add that I think people are, you know, the idea of digital scarcity is still relatively new for a lot of people. And so for a lot of people entering the crypto space, NFTs are actually becoming some of their first exposure. And they're excited about the ability to kind of own these unique digital assets because it's so foreign to everything, their entire experience with computers prior to this point. So I think there is some of that novelty, but I think a lot of it is very primal and it's just kind of within our DNA and our nature, as Eric mentioned. As far as what marketplaces should be optimizing for, I really think that there's an opportunity for marketplaces which really serve the collections that they're offering up to the buyers of them. And I think right now we have very much kind of like a one size fits all to how we're approaching marketplaces. But the way that you're selling an in-game item is perhaps not the same way that you should be selling like a fine art JPEG or NFT. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there um, for new entrants to come in and, and, and play that kind of role. So Zeneca, I'll call you out here and say, I know you helped to advise LooksRare before their launch. You know, as uh, I didn't advise them. I was, I got in on the strategic, strategic round to invest. Okay. Got it. And you were excited yeah. about the idea of a new platform. So as you were thinking about a new platform and a, a big competitor to OpenSea, like what were you hoping that this platform optimized for and, and did, I mean, same question, but you're, you're kind of deep in this. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, largely what Eric said as well, uh, rewarding the users of the platform, I think is, is huge. And it's sort of a gripe that people have had with OpenSea for a while, again, them taking all the fees. And on top of that, you know, there were all sorts of issues that probably still are with OpenSea that people aren't loving like the usability and like the lack of customer support, obviously whether there should be excellent customer support or not is, you know, when you get fully decentralized, maybe that's not a thing, but um, we'll have that issue with OpenSea. And so LooksRare comes along and says, hey, we're going to build from the ground up and have a token that we airdrop to everyone who used OpenSea and who uses the platform going forward so they can, you know, partake in the, the revenue. And um, yeah, it seems like that they've got good customer service so far, but, you know, clearly it's very difficult to build a marketplace. <laughs> Otherwise we would have seen a hundred competitors to OpenSea before now. Um, and even LooksRare, it's like, you know, I'm, I've invested in it. It's not the best platform. It's, it has things that they need to improve upon, but you know, if they continue to do that, I can see them continuing to claw market share away from OpenSea. Well, I think like everyone here from uh, just personal experience, I've used the LooksRare platform because I've also used OpenSea. I think everyone has used OpenSea, uh, all the viewers. That's kind of even, you know, the external world, OpenSea is at this point synonymous with the NFT industry. So in addition to OpenSea and perhaps in addition to, to LooksRare too, what uh, non-OpenSea NFT platforms that you, uh, marketplaces have you guys used and what really uh, stands out about them? Eric, do you have a, a non-OpenSea uh, platform that you enjoy and, and why do you enjoy it? Yeah, I'd say first that comes to mind is probably foundation, but you could also put like super rare and Zora in there, right? And like, to me, where those differ is they're kind of more focusing on like the one of ones, which I still personally think is going to be a next big wave in NFTs, right? Everyone's focused on the 10k profile pictures and these collections, um, even art blocks, right? Like a thousand generated per collection. I, there's definitely going to be a wave of one of ones where, the, you know, that is for people that don't know, an artist creates literally just one 
piece, like a traditional artist, like say like a Van Gogh, right? Um, and then you just collect that and that artist becomes popular and then those pieces go up. We're really seeing that with Xcopy. Xcopy does some collections, but he has a lot of one-on-ones that are now selling for millions of dollars. And I think we're going to see that wave in those other platforms. I, I'll take foundation. I, I just really appreciate foundation's UI, but, um, or the user experience, those apps are kind of going for more of that. Right. So it's not like these, you know, there's, there's a lot of competitors now, but they're really not necessarily even going after the same space. I think we're seeing a little bit of a divide between, you know, the one of ones in the collections. And I'm sure like looks rare and open C of course you can like trade them on there, but it's kind of weird. They show up as like, um, foundation tokens, like not really the artists and stuff. Um, so I think we're going to see this wave coming through as well. Um, and the, you know, those platforms are going to be, be big in their own right as people kind of start discovering this more unique art. Now, what's interesting, right. Is like a lot of the power around some of these collections is the communities they build. Some of these, you know, communities, you know, like if you go on like the doodles discord, right. I think there's like 30,000 people in there. Um, if you go into like your one of one artists, there's probably only like hundred, 200 people in some of them because not many people have them because they didn't make a lot. So that's where it gets interesting, right. Cause community kind of is everything in crypto. DC, I want to ask that same question to you. What non OpenSea platforms do you enjoy the most? Why do you enjoy them? But if you could also build on what Eric said, if you want, about how different marketplaces are finding specialization in different types of sectors of the NFT world. Anything you want to add to all of these things? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the marketplaces that I've used outside of OpenSea have that kind of specialization. So I think like SuperRare, for example, offers a really nice curated experience in a lot of it is one of ones, but they also have that curation of the artists that are exhibited there and they offer that secondary market for their own pieces. And I think that's a really interesting utility that I expect to see more from projects moving forward. I think also just the CryptoPunks marketplace is actually a really good example of a market the original, one of the original NFT marketplaces, no fees. I think that the CryptoPunks kind of pioneered a lot of really interesting mechanics, even predating our C721 standard, that I think that's going to come back around. And I think like Genie XYZ is also a really interesting one because they offer this aggregator service. And for those of your listeners who might not be familiar with Genie, Genie is one of a, a few aggregator apps that are come to the fore. And the way that they work is they basically index listings across all these different marketplaces and they serve them up to you. And you can then buy the ones that you want. You can look for the lowest price. You can also list through them. I think that there's a lot of opportunity for that. And I think actually aggregator, and I know we, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but are going to help kind of flip the script a little bit. Because I think a lot of times we're thinking in like this web two mindset of we all need to go to one marketplace and everything needs to be there. But the properties of web three actually allow us to be decentralized in, in the marketplaces that we choose to list and buy things from. And I think aggregators are going to help us achieve that vision. I, I want to ask Zeneca in a minute, I want to ask you more about where you see this all going, what features you think you, or you'd like to see more of in these NFT marketplaces and you know, maybe what, what features you'd like to see uh, fixed, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about other marketplaces that, that uh, you're potentially interested as well, interested in as well. And um, also on this question of, of sort of specialization, do you think we see it a little bit in the art market? Do you think that'll be the, the case for gaming and for, you know, all these different industries that this is disrupting ticketing, these will all be sort of separate places that you'll, you'll go to? Yeah, no, I definitely think that's where we're heading. Um, I mean, my answer to the other marketplaces I've used and like are pretty much the same foundation super rare. I think that as time goes on, we are going to see more niche marketplaces pop up. So, sort of like what DC was saying before, you'll have a marketplace for gaming assets. Because if, if, you, if you're buying a gaming asset, it would be nice to see what it looks like in a 3D world, you know, around, maybe you can try it out, try it on a skin, try it on your avatar. Um, and art, you obviously want, you know, looking at art on OpenSea isn't just the best viewer experience. Um, we're going to see more and more niche marketplaces pop up and then aggregators will be where a lot of people do their shopping. Yeah. So to, to you, Zanaka, still, like, what do you feel like is, is working right now in our system? And what are the big areas that we want to see improved, the big features that you want to see starting to incorporate into these marketplaces? Um, I think... Looks rare introduced a good thing with like the bid on collection and bid on, on traits 
aspect. I like that. I think what I personally use a lot is just like the the stats page of say OpenSea, where you can see like where the recent activity has been over the last 24 hours after the last seven days. You get a good feel for like what's trending, what the market is liking. Um, something that I don't think exists yet and I think should and will and may be controversial, but is like targeted ads. Like they know what's in our wallet. They can find out what's in our wallets. You know, why isn't everyone's homepage when they go to OpenSea a bit more targeted towards, you know, this person only ever buys photography NFTs. Why are we showing them 10K? A curated JPEGs? feed. It could be ads or you yeah. know, it's, it's also just a curated feed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it would make for a better user experience, I think. And allow the users to discover things that they're more interested in that they may not have otherwise. At least give us that option, I think. Eric, I know you're a big fan of just, you know, analytics and metrics and insights. What's, what would you like to see as a feature for built into some of these NFT platforms with regards to like analytics? Is that, is that a big untapped part of this NFT industry is the combination of an uh, NFT marketplace with NFT analytics? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, like, for example, I woke up this morning and there had been like 40 CryptoPunk sales and like you have to like go to CryptoPunk's website and just kind of like do it yourself. Like, oh, there's like 40 punks sold from like 65 to 80. Like who's buying them? Like, I don't really know of any, like there's some like Dune dashboards out there and stuff, but like analytics is not tapped into at all, especially like, like immediately notifying you analytics, right? Meaning like, oh, this guy just swept five bored apes and this is a heavy hitter, right? Like, should I go over here? Everyone's got their like Twitter bots that they're subscribed to for notifications. But NFT analytics are definitely lacking, especially around like who's buying, you know, we always see this with ETH, right? Like, oh, a whale just bought a bunch of ETH or, you know, today we saw exchange inflows, like we don't really have that. I mean, there's some stuff out there, but it could definitely get better, right? And just in general, the viewing on these sites and kind of like the market inefficiencies of like bidding and counter offering and like who's bidding on your stuff? Are they like lowballing everybody? Or are they at an actual serious bidder? Like, what do they own? Like, it's very tedious if you want to go have an nft day meaning like you want to go like pick some stuff out or list some of your stuff and try it you know get some liquidity to buy other stuff like it takes hours and hours and like to me that's still the benefit of being in a token versus nfts is like the efficiencies right on a token you've got all these analytics you can get out quick you can get in quick and this is going to be solved through things like say nftx and i know there's a bunch of stuff launching around like you know collateralizing nfts and all this so we're going to get more efficient markets um but yeah it doesn't the analytics goes along with this because it doesn't quite feel like an efficient market yet but especially with the fragmentation of liquidity among sites and all that stuff but um we'll get there dc i want to turn the same question to you what about the nft marketplace uh, is working or perhaps what is really broken and really frustrating you when you go and do your NFT stuff? So I think, I mean, you know, in, in, in a lot of us will point to OpenSea and, and be critical of it, but I do think that they have done a tremendous job in terms of providing a marketplace, which has allowed this economy to scale to the point that it has. And I think that's been incredible. However, um, I think, you know, riffing off of the point that I made earlier, the idea that we'll all just use one marketplace forever and not really anything else probably is not tenable. It isn't really compatible with a Web3 decentralization point of view. So I actually think, you know, if I'm going to articulate what I think the future of NFT marketplaces looks like, I think we're going to eventually see every project basically have their own marketplace that is designed and tailored around maybe like a custom UI or some standard UI elements that can be recycled across projects, but is designed to promote discoverability and, and quality display of their project's assets. And you're going to have aggregators, which are basically aggregating the activity. And I think even OpenSea will basically become an aggregator as well, because then it becomes who can provide the best experience to the customer in terms of the discovery process. And I think that discovery process is actually something that's really important and in, is lacking in a lot of ways. Because if you want to go like discover all of the work that Xcopy or Dmitry Cherniak has done, right now it is like extremely, extremely difficult to do that. You've got to kind of look at their link tree in their Twitter profile and you got to like piece it together. And then you're not even finding all of the pieces. And, and there were actually a lot of really easy opportunities 
for people to come in and buy up some of these pieces cheaper from big name artists because there was such an inefficiency in just finding these. Right now, you know, and the stuff that does get listed on OpenSea, going back to that, like I said, it kind of is a one size fits all model. It's more like going to like a Walmart or to eBay rather than to an art gallery or an auction house. You know, I mean, and look at the success of like the big auction houses like Sotheby's and Christie's. They have been creating these pretty, I mean, they haven't been tremendous. There've been a lot of criticism, but they have done a good job at creating these experiences around when they sell things. And that brings in more high-end buyers and people are excited to buy. Um, another thing that I think is not working or is going to be an issue is fees to do these kinds of trades are, are still too high. And a lot of that does come down to Ethereum gas fees. So I think actually within probably a year or two, a lot of trading is going to be on Ethereum layer twos from assets that are initialized on layer twos or assets that get brought over there from layer ones. So those are a few of the things that I think are not working today, but there are solutions in the pipeline. Do you think we'll get to the point where there are you know, regular sort of IRL minting experiences. I think about crypto citizens, if anybody's tracked that project, they bring you to their site, to their gallery in whatever city and have you mint in person. When I hear you talking about sort of what Christie's and Sotheby's are able to do, do you think we'll see more of that down the line where, where there actually is this sort of physical component to minting NFTs more so than we have today? Totally. I think that we're kind of in the early stages of bridging actually this digital world into the physical one. But the, the groups that have done that have been very successful. I mean, like with the Board Apes, they've now created real world utility for their NFTs and for the people who hold them as kind of membership cards and passes into their parties and things like that. I think also like Artblocks establishing their house in Marfa as like a location and a place where people who are passionate about generative art go and make a pilgrimage so I, it, to, to go visit there. But I think that there, there are a ton of opportunities for mixing these digital and real world experiences that we barely tapped into. I'm curious broadly on, on y'all's thoughts to how how social media, and I don't mean that as in necessarily our existing social media platforms, right? But how social sort of signaling, et cetera, plays into all this. Zeneca, I'm curious, you talked about these curated feeds. Do you see these platforms ultimately becoming their own sort of social media platforms or some of them? How do you think the kind of social part of this gets integrated in the long term? You're muted, Zeneca. You're, you're muted. Sorry, I think, um, yeah, we're, we're such social creatures, obviously, and so much of what like the buying and selling in the NFT market and the crypto market happens is because we see people on Twitter say, hey, I bought this, and then everyone starts FOMOing in, and it's because of other people buying it. It makes sense that marketplaces or aggregators will integrate that into their, into their platforms, whether it's uh, like literally, you know, a Twitter feed of, of people like posting about it, or if it's just like analytics, like Eric was talking about, you know, this wallet, this whale, this person just swept five board apes, pops up on your feed. You're like, okay, let me go click on that and, and check that out. And then you can maybe click on their profile. Um, they'll have analytics of, you know, what what they own. It's all it's all public. It's all out there. It, it, once that's more easily able to be uh, visualized and like deciphered, I think people will be, yeah, I, I think marketplaces will have that integrated for sure. Eric, I want to allow you to answer a similar question about social media elements built into NFT platforms. But I also know um, you're just also interested in the financialization side of just all things Ethereum. So there's also things like, you know, fractional and you already mentioned NFTX. What other just like add-ons or plugins could NFT marketplaces add to their features in addition to just like social media stuff? Yeah, to me, this is the next wave we're going to see here in 2022 on NFTs. And it's basically merging DeFi and NFTs, right? So you've got a lot of people across the world that want to get involved in board apes or punks or whatever it is, right? But not many people can afford them, um, but you'd still like to get exposure to it, right? And this is like one of the cool things Ethereum enables that isn't enabled in the traditional world is, hey, let's fractionalize a crypto punk and thousands of people can own a part of it. And if crypto punks go up, you make money. If they go down, you don't. And you're a part of the community now, right? So fractionalization to NFTs is going to be huge just from people wanting exposure, of course. Um, and then 
uh, there's a ton of untapped potential and using NFTs for collateral and borrowing against them and speculating on them, right? Like that's going to be a big wave. Now, this gets really tricky, of course, because the NFT space is generally illiquid and hard to price. So I think early on, it's only going to be stuff like grails, right? Like art blocks, grails, crypto punks, board apes, like that's pretty much all you're going to be able to use probably as collateral because they stay relatively stable. Um, but yeah, all of these things that just allow you to add DeFi to art, right? Like I, my favorite thing about Ethereum is analyzing what, what things does Ethereum enable that in the traditional world outside of Ethereum, you couldn't do, right? We've seen some stuff in DeFi around that. I think my bull case in general on NFTs, and I've said multiple times for over a year now, I think NFTs are going to be a hundred times bigger than we all think now. And that's because of things that you can do with them. I mean, the, the most obvious is what I mentioned in kind of in the opener is just bringing instant liquidity and price finding to NFTs through just marketplaces that Ethereum enables. Um, but bringing like fractionalization and DeFi aspects to art, I mean, that's just next level, right? It's going to push us, it's going to push them even further. And, you know, it's going to make people more interested for sure. Do you think adding in these financialization components is actually the responsibility of the marketplaces? Or do you think that that's kind of should be left up to the rest of the ecosystem? Like, should it really be a button on OpenSea to fractionalize your board ape? Like, or where, where do you think this feature should uh, lie? Yeah, I mean, if OpenSea had the bandwidth, so they would probably be doing it. But I'm assuming they're, they don't have it at the moment because then they would really corner the marketplace. I think we're going to see it come from smaller teams. And de definitely what I've seen coming through, like, you know, teams launching, looking for funding, like there's going to be a huge wave in the next six to nine months of these applications. Um, and most of the things I've seen, they're all going to be independent teams. I, you know, eventually will like an OpenSea integrate like a smaller team or like acquire them. Like they just acquired Dharma, for example. Will they try to acquire teams to bring fractionalization onto platform maybe. Um, but I, from what I've seen, that's not these marketplaces focus at the moment. Um, we're going to have these smaller teams build these, let's call them NFT Legos. Um, and then maybe the platforms will, you know, try to swallow these teams or integrate it or whatever it might be. I'm curious about like fraud and spam prevention, which I feel like is, is personal to a lot of people who have been screwed, uh, you know, whether by the fault of some of these marketplaces or not. Uh, DC, I'm, I'm curious where you think this goes, how you think we can get better on this if we can, you know, how much of this is sort of out of the control of the marketplaces and it's sort of user be wary or beware, or how much can we really do to prevent people from being, um, you know, spammed or, or uh, otherwise hurt? Yeah, I mean, at least from a spam perspective, look, I think I, mean, I get a bunch of NFTs in my wallet that are not really things that I want to have on my wallet, but I just accept that they're there. And by the way, if you receive NFTs like that, for anyone who's listening, I just advise you not to really bother to move them because it's not worth your, it's not worth interacting with the contract. It's not worth paying the gas. There's really no point in doing it. I think the fraud piece is something that is kind of interesting. So one, what we have seen many of these marketplaces do is they have started to take on this role of verifying collections and OpenSea has been doing this for a while. That also means that they decide what, what assets can get listed on their platform. And a lot of people will say, well, that's not permissionless, that's not censorship resistant. But I think there is a trade-off there that, you know, they do provide some utility by actually doing that filtering. And that's like the first level of filtering that you get. However, we've also seen some kind of troubling situations where NFTs have been stolen from a user's wallet, typically because the user has made some kind of mistake in it, whether they gave their private key to someone or whatever. We've all seen this happen a bunch with NFT communities. I mean, there have been a lot of board apes that have been stolen in this way. And there's some really unfortunate stuff that can happen there. So what, what happens is the thief acquires that NFT. They then list it on OpenSea at a price below the floor price. It sells basically immediately. And then whoever has bought that NFT now owns what is effectively stolen property through no knowledge of their own. Then later, the person from whom that NFT was stolen reports that to OpenSea and says, hey, this NFT was stolen. And really what happens is that person got stolen from and also to some extent the person who bought it got stolen from because now that nft cannot be sold on OpenSea again 
And that's apparently a legal requirement for operating a marketplace. And I, I talked to someone at OpenSea and they kind of said, look, even if it was like, if you go to, if you go and buy a stolen bike, the police can actually like take that bike from you and say, hey, this was part of a crime and was stolen. We need to seize this. And so it's just kind of one of those terrible situations, which I think reduces confidence for the buyer that's buying these very expensive NFTs in some cases. And then they're told, hey, you can't list it here and you'll never be able to sell it on OpenSea again. Now, luckily there are other platforms now that are more decentralized like LooksRare, where you might be able to list it there. You may be able to list it on Rarible. But I think that some of these issues, I don't really know how we get out of them legally, but um, I think they're gonna continue to be things that we need to think about. DC, you bring up a really good point about the points on the decentralization spectrum that many of these NFT platforms optimize differently for. And while it is really nice that we have alternatives to OpenSea where you can take your board ape to a different uh, platform if for some reason it gets frozen on OpenSea, at the end of the day, OpenSea is also the main place of liquidity. Um, so it's permissionless, but still also kind of permissioned if all of if OpenSea just does have that monopoly on top of liquidity. And these are some of the questions that we want to get to. In addition to what I think are also some really other fun questions, such as why do NFTs on layer two kind of rub people the wrong way? And do we think the Ethereum L1 will maintain dominance in the NFT marketplace, as well as Twitter verification talk as well. So we're gonna get into all of those uh, conversations right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. So you've got some money and you want to spend. Me shopping now, bro. When you should be saving. You'll never buy a house at this rate. But what if you could spend and save at the same time? For the enlightened kind with inquiring minds, a new world awaits. Set yourself free with completely flexible, self-repaying loan technology. Supported on desktop and mobile, seize the power of Alchemix allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Leverage your wealth without the risk of liquidation. Take out a loan that repays itself. Yes! Yes, 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 yes. What was once inconceivable is now within your grasp. Are you winning some? Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet, the Ledger live app, and soon the CL Crypto Life card powered by Ledger. The CL card powered by Ledger is a crypto debit card with powerful features like an instant exchange to fiat, where crypto assets are only sold at the moment that you swipe your card, and also credit from crypto collateral, where you can collateralize your crypto assets in order to get a higher credit limit. You'll be able to manage your CL card powered by Ledger inside the Ledger Live app, right next to all the DeFi apps and services that you're already used to using, making the Ledger Live app your one-stop shop for all of your financial needs. Go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, and download Ledger Live to get all of your DeFi applications all in one place. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need L2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest and cheapest and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about the long wait times or high fees to get your assets back to the Layer 1. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens from Layer 2 back to Ethereum. Across is critical ecosystem infrastructure and ownership is being handed over to the community. You can be a part of this story of Across by joining the Discord and becoming a co-founder and helping to design the fair fair launch of Across. If you want to bridge your assets quickly and securely, go to across.to to bridge your assets between ETH Optimism, Arbitrum, or Boba Networks. We are back. We have a bunch of good topics to talk about in the second half of this show, but I want to circle back first uh, quickly here on this question of, of social and social media and platforms and how this plays out. DC, I'm curious on your thoughts. I mean, I'm personally surprised that we haven't seen more like, I like, you know, I, I like something and then I see more of it, that curated feed thing we were talking about out with Zeneca. How do you see this playing out? Are, is this going to happen on the marketplaces? Are we going to see it evolve in, in some different way? Where does this activity ultimately take place in your view? 
Sure. Well, I think, you know, it's really difficult to put all of this responsibility on marketplaces. And I think actually moving forward, marketplaces, they are going to be for discovery, but it's really going to be where people buy and sell, not experience their NFTs, because they're not really tooled to do that appropriately. And two, there's just so many kinds of NFTs, you might be better off experiencing them somewhere else. So I think we're going to see a proliferation of gallery apps. And we already see a few like gallery.so is one that I'm very fond of because they have a pretty clean format. You've also seen uh, platforms like Hype launch with more social features. So I think that you're going to have a lot of different ways to curate and present your collection to the world. I'll never send anyone to my OpenSea page because it's a hot mess, but I would rather be like, hey, come look at my gallery.so page, which is linked on my Twitter, by the way, if you want to check it out. But that's where I arrange all my NFTs exactly how I want. That's part of my collector's journey. And I think people need to connect with their NFTs in that way. I think also this rise of like the Twitter hexagons is like pretty interesting. And for those who have, who have been under a rock over the past week, we've had um, Twitter now allow users to verify their NFTs on the platform in their profile pictures. And basically, if you do this, it turns your little profile picture into hexagon, which signals that you own the NFT behind that profile picture. I think like sharing and using NFTs like that is gonna become really common. And I think I think the next logical step for Twitter is to like add a little side profile page that you could visit to see, hey, what NFTs might I be selling? And do you wanna buy them? You know, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's a far leap from where we are, but I think the final point that I'll leave you with here, Carly, is we're really going to see deeper integration of these kinds of concepts with these metaverse apps. And I think it was Zeneca who mentioned this idea of being able to look at your 3D NFTs in 3D, some kind of 3D metaverse, right? And there's a bunch of them that are emerging right now, but being able to interact with them and even have like a shopping experience within that, that doesn't feel like you're on eBay. And I think that's like the future of where we're headed with some of this. Well, what I think is so interesting about that is something I'm fascinated with are some of these like mega apps that are, are much more common in, in China and, and throughout Asia, like Pinduoduo. I don't know if folks know about this, but it's really this merging of social and commerce. And that's sort of what you're describing here is, is sort of shopping and hanging out with friends and sharing all in one place, which it has surprised me that some of our web two social media apps haven't leaned into that more is, mm -hmm. is, is what you're picturing as you talk about some of the, the gallery piece of this, like you and all your friends will have your your gallery account, your art will be up there. I'll scroll through a feed. I'll see all my friends. I'll like your picture. I'll follow somebody new. There's a collector I love. It'll it'll feel much like these sort of web two apps to a certain extent, but it's it's really about highlighting and, and focusing on your NFTs and the way that you want to present them. Is, is that what you're picturing there? Absolutely. Like if I have a gallery app, I could imagine like even having a special section of that saying, these are the pieces that I have for sale and being able to articulate the story behind them and so on. Mm -hmm. But I think like this idea of like when you're in one of these metaverse apps, like Nifty Island is one that I'm involved with. Like if you're in Nifty Island and you have, and I've got my museum there, I could even have like a for sale sign next to the gallery placard and say, Hey, you can buy this piece if you want to. So I think that that's, that's kind of the future that I think when you, we talk about metaverse, plus marketplaces, that's where I see it headed. It's sort of that financialization of everything piece that Eric's talking about too, in, in its own right way, right? Like you're just walking through everywhere now is a, is a marketplace and everything can be speculated on, everything can be bought. It's either a utopia or a dystopia, but. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> to that point, the concept of a marketplace historically has been to allow the buyer and seller to have some degree of mutual trust. And the reality of like a platform like Ethereum and Web3 is you don't need an intermediary for that. You just need the smart contract. So yeah, you can trust anybody halfway around the world without any intermediary and you can do a direct transaction with them. And I think we'll see a lot of that. Oh, David, I there think you're muted. Thank you. Uh, one thing that we definitely need to see happen in order to see broader NFT adoption uh, is cheaper access to NFTs. Uh, the Ethereum L1 has already priced out you know, most of the globe. Uh, and something about NFTs on layer twos just rubs people the wrong way. Uh, at least that's my interpretation of things. Eric, do you have an opinion about why that is or if that's true or, true or not? So I agreed with you until I would say a few weeks ago when I started going down the treasure DAO route and I'm fascinated by this project now. It's like blowing my mind. Just yesterday they launched this thing called Bridge World and it's just, 
if you haven't poked around with it, just go poke around. Um, they've got basically like staking and economics involved with a game. They've got an NFT marketplace. It's like play to earn. It, it's it's pretty wild, right? So I think we're seeing this migration to layer two. And I don't see layer one to layer two migration of NFTs being a very big thing necessarily. I think native layer two NFT apps is where things are going to really take off. Like Treasure Dow, for example, launched on layer two. Well, I take that back. Their original staking was on layer one. They did a migration, but like a lot of the new stuff has just been on layer two, right? So I think now you can start experimenting with stuff like this, more gamification because you have to do more transaction fees. No one wants to do that on layer one, right? So I agree that like early on, like the collections launched on layer two just didn't look as good. The marketplaces weren't there, especially on like alt layer ones. I don't know what they're doing on alt layer ones with art, but you can basically pick them out of this, like out of a line, which one was launched on Ethereum, what wasn't. Um, but I think we're about to see a prolification of native layer two NFT projects. I think we're seeing it on the DeFi side um, where a lot of just native layer two DeFi apps are really taking off. Um, it's, it's for NFTs next, but it's not going to just be launching a collection in a marketplace. It's going to be taking it further because you can do more transactions and that's going to be around gamification of this stuff. Zeneca, do you have any experiences on L2 NFT shenanigans? Any insights or actions that you've taken and, and experienced while doing NFT stuff on layer two? Yeah, I mean, I recently jumped down the, the Bridge World Treasure Magic ecosystem. It's fascinating. So you really got to check it out if you haven't. Um, yeah, and honestly, it's just a really pleasant experience to transact with no gas fees or basically no gas fees. And I think we're going to see more of that. I, I, I also definitely have the like the stigma against most NFTs on L2s just being spam, basically, because you know sometimes they are spam. And up until recently, I'd never really considered them as sort of a, a place for high value NFTs. I think L1 Ethereum is just has been where the premium NFTs are by and large is where most of the market is. So the marketplaces on L2s haven't been great and the bridging experience hasn't been great. The just users aren't there. I think going forward, yeah, we will see more and more. We just have to see more and more adoption on L2s and that's where a lot of activity will happen. And L1 will be for like these legacy, these, you know, OG collections that they'll probably stay on L1. Um, maybe some of them will bridge over. We've seen, you know, a few projects launch an L1 and then bridge over, especially like the gaming ones like Etherox and there's a few others um, because for gaming, obviously you need the, the more transactions. But yeah, I think we're getting there. It'll probably take most of this year and maybe next year is when it'll really be normalized that that's where a lot of activity for NFTs just is going to take place because it's just going to have to, yeah. DC, what do you think about the long-term dominance of the Ethereum L1 when it comes to, to NFTs? Do you think it's going to retain like the vast majority of market share or just how do you think the, the uh, world of NFTs in L1 versus L2 is going to play out? So I think the reality is we have a lot of very important kind of culturally relevant NFTs that started on L1. And basically all of the prominent NFTs we know of today are on L1. And because of that, it creates this accretive network effect onto Ethereum L1, but broad, more broadly to the Ethereum ecosystem. So I don't think NFTs on L1 are going to go away anytime soon. That being said, I think the path of sending an NFT from L1 to L2 is going to be, is fairly, is much more straightforward in general. So if you wanted to take like, you know, a hundred CryptoPunks and move them onto Arbitrum, I don't know if you can do that yet with what they with with their bridge, but you will be able to at some point. And that will be, and then you'll have those hundred crypto punks potentially being tradable, you know, at, at much lower fees. But then you have to pull them back to L1 if you want to use them on L1 again. So that, but anyway, the point is that path is more straightforward. The issue comes in when you've initialized the, an NFT on L2. And then if you want to somehow pull it back to L1. And for some NFTs, that is doable, but it has to kind of be thought about in advance as that NFT is created. So I think that for some NFTs like artwork, they're going to put in the investment to do that. I think for a lot of in-game items though, well, first of all, if it's an in-game item and they're using one of these common contracts, like I think Immutable X has set up some contracts that allow people to pull to L1 as well, then you're kind of already set. But I think a lot of game NFTs are just going to be initialized on layer two and they're just going to stay there for the most part. And they're never going to come to layer one. And I think that's kind of the future vision. Like I think within 
three years, it'll be very exceptional that your average user is using Ethereum layer one, to be perfectly honest. So a lot of this activity is going to be on layer twos and gaming NFTs are going to be absolutely huge on layer twos. And we're already seeing that with some of the success of Immutable X and other platforms. I think where we're looking at like fine art, uh, you know, these, these NFTs that really represent these unique artworks that are worth a lot of money, that's going to take longer for those artists to get comfortable with creating work on L2. And that's where I think the assurances of being able to pull back to L1 become more important. I will say, as we're, we're talking about Immutable X here, and I think this is a story I, I partly shared with Zeneca on overpriced JPEGs uh, a couple of weeks back, but I've had my first experience with some NFTs that uh, natively arose on Immutable X. And I say it is dangerous. That no gas thing, I've never been a day trader. And I like blacked out and woke up three hours later and just like traded for like, I was like, what is happening? So, you know, because we're for, you know, on, on mainnet at this point, if I'm going to make a quarter of an ETH, it's, there's no, I'm like, that's, that's going to be wiped out by gas. It doesn't matter. It's not even worth it. But like, no gas fees. It's like suddenly new worlds, you know, warning, <laughs> it gets really gambly there real fast. Uh, but I, it made me quite bullish on it, to be honest, I think immutable X and, and, you know, obviously they're making a big bet on gaming. I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, okay. I think, uh, maybe we close out here with, with some broader NFT markets talk. That's my favorite thing. That's overpriced JPEGs. We're getting into our world here. Hardcore. Uh, I guess I'd love to hear from y'all if there was ever three people that uh, this would be a good question to like, what NFTs are y'all bullish on these days? What are you excited about? You know, what's, what are you tracking? I guess I'll I throw it to Zeneca it. or well, Eric, no, you got Zeneca, it. Zeneca, go ahead. No, Zeneca, go. Okay. Um, I'm obsessed with crypto covens. It's this amazing PFP project. The art is unique and different. Uh, it was founded by five women who, you know, it was the first real foray into the NFT space and they just got together and like, Hey, you know, let's create a collection. Uh, the community is, is just different. It's just different to every other project that I've ever come across. Um, yeah, I, I really love it. I think it's, I'm obsessed. <laughs> and every time someone asks me recently, like what NFT project do you like? That's the one I go to. Um, Eric, yeah, go for it. yeah, yeah, I guess recently what I've been most fascinated with, I'd probably say doodles. I don't know. I saw them a, a few weeks ago and like just something captured me about the art and then they kind of took off. So it's of course easy to get biased when the, the, when the price is going up, but so not financial advice, but I don't know something about them. Like just, you could hang them on a wall, walk by them and never really get tired of them. Um, Are they differentiated I mean, I enough? Cause they all kind of look the same to me. So it's funny, right? Like I have this talk a lot with people like, so I'm a punk guy, right? And like Bored Apes Rose and I, I can't see the difference on Bored Apes. And I talk to people that are into Bored Apes and they're like, oh, I can't see the difference in punks. So like, I think it's just like, unless you live in that community day to day and you're like obsessed with the traits, like you don't really see it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I just like the art. It stands out to me as something different. Um, well, and yeah, I, I guess I already mentioned my, my latest, like just hours of research has been around treasure Dow and the stuff they launched there around like legions and, you know, their treasures and their small brains and like all this stuff. I've, so I've been, I'm becoming more fascinated with like applications that are trying new things as opposed to kind of just launching PFPs. Right. And, you know, I will say, and I know for a fact, DC will back me up on this one, I'm sure, but I, I think generative art will make a comeback. And I think one of one's will be a new wave. Um, people are sleeping on generative art right now, but like, it's truly unique, right? Like people are just copying the 10,000 unique trait thing. Um, generative art's going to have a comeback. So I, I've been not going to lie. I've been scooping up the floor for a few weeks now on some of that stuff. Oh, you're, I, I know we're going to throw this to DC because I'm, I'm very eager to hear DC's answer. I will, another shameless plug for overpriced JPEGs. Our guest next Wednesday is Poopy, co-founder of Doodles. And I have to say, I'm not a Doodles owner. I'm not a holder. You know, I, I was really impressed talking to Poopy. I, I, I think it's fair to say that I, I really think he goes deeper on the project than he ever really has in an interview. And, and I, that's an impressive team. So as a, as a bet on the team person, oh my God, dang, I wish I'd grab myself a doodle. Uh, also very much with you on the, the generative art, art piece. I think there's, you know, digital art still just makes up such a fraction of, of the total art market. And there's so much room for that to grow. And, and generative art is really your most digitally native art in some ways. So um, really excited to see where that goes. Okay. DC, what are you excited about? 
Well, I am excited about some of the newer stuff. Like I'm really interested in the Meta Hero Project, which uh, and Punk's comic, which G Funk and the team have done a lot of really interesting work. I'm really interested to see how that universe builds out. But I actually think now is a great time to be thinking about some of these older NFTs, which have been comparatively de-risked. And I wrote a tweet a few weeks ago, which I'll just share with you guys here. And I said, the NFT kind of market evolution. And if you think, I'm just gonna go through the stages very quickly, but if, when we started, none of them were valuable. Then you have early kind of counterculture, like Xcopy, even Larva Labs and other individual artists creating that early work. New early adopters arrive. That's like a lot of the types of folks that you have on, on, on today's discussion, right? We were, got involved with some of this. The early stuff becomes valuable. Then you have the corporate and mainstream arrival. And I think that's the stage that we're at now, right? You have Adidas, you have Nike making moves by acquiring Artifact. And you have a lot of these big brands now coming into the NFT space. And so we're at a point now where mainstream taste is also almost starting to overrun and we're becoming oversaturated, oversaturated with it. I mean, even like Jimmy Fallon and, and Paris Hilton are talking about board apes with each other on the Tonight Show. It's kind of like mind blowing when you see, some, I mean, that happened, I think it was yesterday and I watched the clip. I was like, wow, didn't this kind of crazy. But, but after that mainstream taste phase, you're gonna see some of this quality counterculture stuff and early adopter work kind of come back and that value is gonna soar with these collectors who come in and they want to get something that's authentic that's kind of foundational to this movement. So I think actually now is a great time to be looking at some of that stuff if you can afford it. I know the price tag's already high, but if I'm right in like five to 10 years, this is gonna look like absolutely nothing on some of these. Well, guys, that was all the alpha that our NFT panelists could, could give you. And I actually want to ask this question because I, I think it's, it's very, very timely. Uh, if ETH goes down in price and, God forbid, goes into a bear market, how relevant is that to the NFT industry? How relevant is the U.S. dollar price when it comes to NFTs? Eric, I want to start with you on that one. I guess first I would ask, have you been watching the charts the last three weeks or have you not? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we in a bear market? Or I, sometimes I just anymore. can't tell if we're in a bear market. <laughs> yeah, no, NFTs have decoupled from crypto. Uh, yeah, exactly. No. That's what's weird, right? So we're, I think ETH hit at the max like 56% off the top or something like that. And I mean, Bored Apes just keep going to the moon. Punks had a pump last night. Doodles are up from like five to 12, like all this stuff. You, you go on OpenSea, there's random collections pumping every day, right? So I, I do think we have not really seen a correlation between the two. And honestly, having watched punks pretty much since the beginning, um, it, they've never been correlated to ETH price. They've pretty much just always independently traded on ETH only, right? And this is like the ETH is money thesis, which we won't get into this in this podcast. We've had plenty of those in the past, but like art, the future of art is priced in ETH and people are okay with just making a few ETH, even if ETH went down 30% overnight, right? So I don't really see in any of the collections I have people repricing as ETH itself changes in price. Um, what's interesting is like, maybe it looks cheaper to people that have been looking to enter with USD, right? Like ETH fell 50%, the punk floor stayed at 70. People are like, oh, look, punks are 50% off. Um, but I think as far as like an overall market repricing, I think they're pretty decoupled. And I mean, it kind of seems like they're almost moving independently, like ETH dumps, NFTs pump, NFTs dump, ETH pumps. So um, we'll have to see how this plays out over time, I guess. I would love to hear Zeneca's answer to this because you and I talked literally a couple of weeks ago, I think, or a month ago, whatever it was. And, and you were saying usually NFTs uh, do best when the price of ETH is stable, right? And that, and, and that when it pumps, that's no good. And if it, if it, you know, dips, that's no good. And, and like, we're not seeing that. What are you making of this? And, and are we in a new paradigm or is the, is the crash coming? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Eric that there's, it's relatively decoupled. Like if we just look over the last year, we've seen ETH pump and NFTs pump at the same time. We've seen ETH crash, NFTs pump, and every scenario has happened. So we can't really look at history and say, and make any sort of reasonable prediction. I do think that when ETH is like crashing or rocketing in a short time period, NFTs, they may not crash or do anything, but people are just a little spooked to trade partially because gas is just crazy when you know when eth is pumping or crashing you know the DeFi activity on on mainnet is just crazy and gas is consistently high 
that kind of cuts off NFT activity at, at its knees, at least for you know 90% of collections. So yeah, I think that when ETH is stable is probably when NFTs pump the most. Um, but I mean, aside from that, I think it doesn't really correlate too much. Uh, but I do think for people who have been sitting on the sidelines, again, like Ari said, and have been thinking about entering the market and have said, um, even at the low end, like $1,000 for an NFT, that's too expensive. Oh, but now it's $550. All right, I can justify. Like, And a lot of people have said, hey, I really want to get in. Oh, I love that collection. I want one of those. And, and most people who aren't in the ecosystem, they think in USD or whatever the native fiat currency is. So I think uh, in that respect, lower ETH price is good for the market overall. Um, but I don't necessarily think that a huge ETH price is going to be bad for the market. Carla, you want to ask your next question? When you unmute yourself? You mute. <clears throat> yep. See, this is the problem with live streams. You can't cut that out. Can't edit that moment out. Uh, I actually wanted to push on something you were saying, DC. It felt like you were talking about, uh, you know, the the maybe investing in some of these older projects that, as new entrants come into the space, will respect the history and, and will buy into that. I had heard the the opposite argument made, specifically around Coinbase and, and the argument that maybe Coinbase onboards a whole bunch of new people to NFTs, and they're not mm-hmm. necessarily people that out the gate are going to spend six figures or. NFT probably gravitate towards some of these newer projects that up until recently were not quite so highly priced. Again, I think mm-hmm. this is something Zenek and I talked about and, and he maybe didn't agree, but would love to get your reaction to that thesis that in the short term, we're going to see pumps on some of these lower price projects as new entrants come in and, and are, are a little wary to spend fifty, dollars $100,000 at the gate. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think- your reaction or... Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I think that's absolutely right. You're definitely going to see a lot of interest in some of these lower value NFTs, which still ha- are like culturally interesting. And and I think a lot of it, the way I mean, my vision is a lot of it kind of trickles up, right? And so the people who buy some of those give liquidity to someone else who might go back and buy the art blocks piece or the crypto punk or the ape or the autoglyph or whatever, whatever that NFT they've been eyeing for a while. So at the end of the day, it just brings more money into the ecosystem and it is beneficial across the board. However, I think personally, from my point of view, some of the older stuff just has a very attractive risk profile that I think, I think a lot of people in the space get in. And even if they've, they've made a lot of money, they focus a lot on these newer kind of more trendy projects the trends kind of change quickly. And I think a lot of people will even say, well, the trend has changed on CryptoPunks and no one cares anymore. I'm like, okay, let's see, let's come back to that point in five years or three years and let's see if that's really the case. I mean, what we've seen actually is as Board Apes have moved up, the punk floor also is rising along with it. And you're seeing that kind of across the board for some of these older collections. So I think it's very much like a mutually beneficial situation. Rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, pretty uh, not all but a lot of <laughs> <laughs> guys i want i saw a collection yesterday it was like the cool maury doodle friends or something a derivative of four projects mentioned to one oh, that's the the point of the market we're at right now why not so that one maybe he's not gonna make it that's a top signal <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you for spending all of your time with us on this uh, overpriced JPEGs bankless cross panel. Uh, this was fantastic. And I just want to give you guys, if you guys want it, you guys don't, want, don't have to take it. But if you guys want just the floor one last time, just to share open-ended question. Actually, there is no question. Just open-ended thoughts about NFTs at large. Anything that we haven't discovered or covered that you guys still have thoughts on rolling around in your head. I can just leave that uh, for the taking, whoever wants to run with that. I would say aggregators. Uh, DC, I think, mentioned it, but aggregators are going to be huge, right? I, I've been messing with one like Genie XYZ. You can go in and if you want to sweep a floor, you can pick 10 NFTs and in, in one transaction, you do it. I think that's the start of it. Um, I think we're going to see a decoupling of, you know, like we were talking, the social layer is on the top, like the galleries in the middle is the aggregators and the bottom is hopefully truly decentralized marketplaces because props to OpenSea, but we need to get to where Ethereum's values are, right? And that's a Uniswap-like exchange of liquidity. So um, I think aggregators are going to be the story, um, and, you know, and that social layer around galleries um, over the next year or so. Yeah, and I'll offer um, my parting 
shot and just say on the on the question that you guys answered a second ago about where are we in like the nft market cycle i spent the past 24 hours basically stream of conscious like analyzing and tweeting about this topic because i think it's super interesting but i think one of the point i think i would leave you with think about how nfts are different from the rest of crypto because i think in a reflexive bearish situation you do see a lot of people panic sell their fungible cryptocurrencies because they can and they're just like i'll rebuy it later NFTs have a psychology that is much more complex than that. It's really difficult to break. People get attached to their NFTs. And even if you want to sell them, you're not going to get instant liquidity at the price you necessarily want. And so there's a lot of barriers to selling. So I think that as a lot of crypto participants have come into NFTs, we're still trying to analyze that. But a lot of the new participants are not a lot of them didn't, were not really involved in crypto before. And I think that's going to change the character of the market going forward. And I will say, I mean, I think something we're going to see this year, which again, Eric uh, alluded to, is that the ability to take, like collateralize your NFTs instantly. And it'll start off with the blue chips and then it'll probably expand to more collections. I would say just be wary when that happens. Like people are going to take on a lot of risk. Markets might pump, but I predict the first real enormous crash and bear market will happen as a result of, of that liquidity unlock and then eventual crash. So keep that in mind. Degen's going to degen. And that just perfectly leads into what I'm about to say next. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, crypto is risky. ETH is risky. NFTs are risky. NFT marketplaces are risky. Collateralizing NFTs is going to be really risky. You can lose what you put in. We are headed west. We're on the frontiers. Not for everyone. But we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot for stopping by this Bankless Overpriced JPEGs live stream panel. Thanks, guys. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless 